Hey, we're just about to jump into the episode, but before we do, did you know we have a junior-friendly Discord community? It's completely free to join. If you want to join us, the link is in the description. We'd love to have you. All right, enjoy the episode. All right, what can I help you with? Hi, um, so I'm a new graduate looking for jobs and starting to get some traction. And basically, I'm just wondering what makes a good first developer job? What makes a good first developer job? Um, that's so I, there are a lot of things. I, I guess we can go over a few, but it, it's going to depend on your end goals, right? So I would I would think about, well, where do you see yourself in five years? And that might be hard to figure out, but are you do you really want to like do you come from a leadership background? You eventually want to lead a team. Um, do you want to uh, kind of just like become this excellent developer that just really masters their domain? Um, and masters might be the wrong word to use, but like you just want to dive deeper and just become this amazing engineer. Do you want to mentor people, etc.? So when you look at your first job as a developer, it kind of needs to align potentially like your perfect ideal job as a developer. It needs to align with your end goals, but yeah might still be figuring those out so i think like initially when you get your first position i think it's important to get the support and the feedback that you need for example like sometimes you can come into your first developer position and it um it you go into it but like you're one of the few people on the team and the other two developers don't really care to like give a lot of feedback in the code reviews for example mm -hmm. so um i think like if you can get that mentorship and feedback, that's very important. Um, like th there are tons of different avenues we can go down of like what makes it a good developer job. But um, yeah, do you want to yeah. elaborate so more I, on that? I guess in terms of goals, my main thing is I just want to become a really strong rockstar developer. I'm not especially interested in doing my own startup or leadership positions. I really like the coding aspect and I think I'd want to stick with that career wise. Um, Long term, I want to continue to just um, do good code, do fun, interesting puzzles. Um, and then either I'm thinking I would either like to work at a nonprofit or work somewhere where I'm earning a lot and can donate a lot because I like the idea of getting, giving back as well. But in terms of a starting job, I think my overwhelming thing is just I just want to learn and grow a lot. Gotcha. Okay, so you want to do meaningful work, and meaningful work to you yep. is giving back. Have you considered a for-profit that does help society in some way? Yes. Um, for example, one of the companies I'm looking at right now is Bloomberg, which they don't, well, <clears throat> less in terms of their philanthropy, like the majority of their profits go to various nonprofit things they do cause, like global health, education, arts, all that stuff. Um, I'm wondering if you're thinking also like mission driven organization. Yeah. So, um, not so much donation, but my work is more directly contributing to like a for-profit education place, maybe. Cause I used to be a teacher. Is that what okay. you mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, sure. um, you could definitely focus on companies like that. I, so when you start, if you do want to consider like nonprofits, um, mm -hmm. I would argue you're going to get nonprofits with a bit of a small staff uh, for a lot of nonprofits. Um, it helps to have gotten previous experience with a professional team and getting tons of feedback from other people on the team. So that could also be a long-term goal, but yeah, that's you're, 
your first developer job probably um it might not be that ideal mission driven company initially so you're Mm -hmm. probably going to really want to seek out that good mentorship and good feedback if you don't find that initially and then kind of let that branch out into what you're going for so i guess in terms of mentorship i feel like most big companies at some level have or say they have mentorship for new developers and my impression is that the actual quality of that varies a fair amount so i guess um before I have experience in the industry, before I'm working at that company, what are the signs I can look for, for this company will have some real legit mentorship where people will actively be helping me grow and become that rockstar developer I want to be. I think the interview process is going to be very telling. I think just straight up asking, um, what is the process for onboarding your junior developers? What does that mentorship look like? Realistically, how often is this implemented? You know, I know it's 2023. I know you're probably uh, trying to get a lot of features pushed out, maybe for investors, et cetera, like whatever the company's doing. But I think it's important to just straight up ask what that process looks like. And then even before you do that, what you can do is just reach out to a few developers on the team and say, hey, this is what I'm trying to prioritize. Sometimes it's really hard to figure out if a company really offers solid mentorship. Um, ask them if like what their mentorship look like. Um, if they like if the senior engineers are involved in a process of mentoring junior developers. Um, but yeah, it's. It, you don't always know. Sometimes you can get a glimpse by looking at like Glassdoor reviews of like how their experiences were. There are different mm-hmm. websites that'll give you reviews of like what it's like to work at that company. Um, it's it's just a lot of digging. And um, then when you get that information, it's feeling out that company when you actually have the conversation. Are they being authentic with what they're saying? And Yeah. And some of this, I imagine, comes across in the technical interview as well, not just like for me directly asking the question, but as I'm working through the problems, what types of comments, what, how conversational is it, right? They're looking for that from me, but I can be looking for that from them as well. You know? You can, but I think it's going to be a very different experience in the mm-hmm. interview versus on the job. Okay. Um, I would argue, so you can have both. You can have an interviewer that essentially doesn't really give you a lot of hints they let you get stuck and let you just see Mm -hmm. what you can do right um that's not a great experience for an interview (laughs) and that shows that they haven't really developed a a good thorough process for getting people through interviews because one thing um you know i'm sure a high a lot of hiring managers will speak to it's like they they have a lot of applicants to get through right and so sometimes they need to know where to kind of nudge that person to go through okay i just want to see what this person can do when they get to the next step right so maybe they got stuck with this step give them a little hint okay is this hint enough to give them that momentum now their thought process starts churning again right so um it's it's hard to like equate that with how it's going to be um but i would even argue they're probably going to give you more help in the interview potentially because they want to move it along quickly where they might let you figure things out a little bit more. Like, you know, you should spend like 20, 30 minutes at least on your own figuring something out. When you have like the context of the feature that you're working on, at some point, you're just going to have to dig into the code and do it on your own for a little bit until you get like truly Mm -hmm. stuck. So I would argue it's not a good representation when you get into the interview of how it's going to be outside the interview. Okay. Um, In terms of type of company, 
um, for learning and growth. Do you think you get that more at like a big tech company, at a startup, at a non-tech company, just working on the tech team? When you dive in... Sorry, or is it just totally company dependent? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. When you dive into a new venture, do you feel like you're someone that likes to um, not get someone over your shoulder helping you out? Do you feel like initially you want people to provide a lot of that context and help, or do you just want to figure it out on your own and then you'll come to them for help? What do you usually seek? Um, more the second one. It depends on the type of problem as well, though. Um, I, I really enjoy the algorithmic type difficult puzzles, whereas if it's just um, they need me to pick up a new language that I don't know. And for all I know, this is a very basic fix that anyone who has more experience with the language would see right away. Gotcha. Then that's something where I'd want help more directly, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I feel like you're most likely going to get more help at a large company that can, again, that you can get a variety of experiences with that but usually that's going to happen now i would argue companies that promote pair programming specifically i mean and this is not the type of company i would flourish at but a companies that promote pair program you're going to get a lot of feedback very quickly they have their own process with um even just like code quality and and making sure that um engineers are on board they have all the help they need to get features out quick like but you're going to get that uh working with someone individually very very often and frequently where like i had a friend that um he was constantly pair programming he would never code alone um and that's not something i would benefit from but um you can have that extreme where you're going to get tons of mentorship you're probably going to learn a lot of good conventions you'll be able to talk through your process so it is, it is a type of growth but it kind of it really depends on like what you're looking for so pair programming in general probably is going to get a lot more mentorship so if you mm-hmm. see that in a startup versus a larger company um you know that that could indicate that but yeah mostly it's going to be a larger company that you're probably going to get more help within more of a length of onboarding as a junior developer. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of the types of things they have you do when you're starting off, is it better to be working on lots of different projects and seeing them through or to be more focused right away on a specific project or even a specific feature and just developing that more when you're first starting? Yeah, it's um, you're pretty much going to do what they want you to do. You're, you're probably not going to have that autonomy to be able to do that initially. And I would argue uh, a company is probably going to want you to silo your focus a bit more. I think it can get very overwhelming to work on a bunch of projects because you're going to have different sta- a variety of stakeholders where this stakeholder doesn't really care about this project, but they have their needs. This needs to get done. And then mm-hmm. juggling that with the needs of these st- stakeholders with this project, it's, it's chaos for a junior developer to manage. So it's probably going to be siloed. Well, the reason I ask is because some of the different places I looked at, say, in the job description, you'll be working on lots of different projects. Um, We develop things quickly and have a short timeline. You're working on a small team of like five people um, and you will together be doing a new project every few weeks or something like that versus companies that don't say something like that. Right. 
is it um agency work with companies like that no um i don't remember yeah so typically you're gonna get um you're gonna move from project to project with agency work okay and you're gonna get the company's gonna get clients in and the projects are gonna change sometimes the stack will even change that can get pretty chaotic um (laughs) in terms of like juggling a bunch of different projects at a startup where you're working on a product i it it would be interesting to hear about a startup that has different teams of developers with a really small team working on several different projects that just sounds chaotic and that that leads me to believe I'm not I shouldn't have a lot of confidence in that startup that they're going to be able to execute well. I think okay. startups that understand their problem very well and focus on a very specific solution are startups I'm going to trust more that they're going to be able to pay me in six months, right? Um, right. So that almost sounds like a nightmare unless it's agency work. Okay, and if it is agency work, then you get it. So yeah, agency work is a whole other ball game. I, you get asked, you know, am I going to be working directly with clients, etc.? But um, sometimes agency work, sometimes the startup or the agency just has their own stack and they stick with it. We just build all of our solutions with the stack. Um, Larger agencies will have usually multiple teams that are probably going to be specialized in different stacks. I've heard of developers in companies like this sometimes having to learn multiple stacks and they're just, they're switching over a lot. That can be very chaotic. I mean, you can grow when you're learning different frameworks, you're learning different languages. Um, It's, pretty stressful some people can feel a little overwhelmed but you're getting exposed to different ways of doing things because each stack is going to have their own conventions and their own ways to just their own ideas even just with the architecture of the app so mm-hmm. it's it's just a different different way to develop okay how hmm. how do you feel about doing coding aligned jobs if my long-term goal is development how would you feel about other things that get me in a tech company like testing and qa devops um one other startups like we we want people who just graduated from coding boot camps because we do products for developers but you would be head of growth (laughs) starting off um I think the last thing that you just mentioned, I would question a bit. Like, what mm-hmm. did you ask what head of growth means? Yeah. Um, and that specific one, I talked to the person, I decided I wasn't the right fit. I'm just saying it as an example. Okay. And so that's probably important to distinguish because mm-hmm. there are, there are a lot, there are several coding adjacent positions. Mm-hmm. Um, I would argue like if you became an email developer, mm-hmm. I think that could be a little bit of a stepping stone. If you got into DevOps, that can certainly be a stepping stone into more of a backend position. Usually, um, you but like you know with an email developer, you're you don't really need to stay up to date with um, modern CSS conventions, and you're going to be going back to the old days and building out your layouts with tables. Um, with you know devops you really like you kind of need a back end you need to be a back end focused developer 
mm-hmm. but you also have this fascination with setting up automations and setting up pipelines and um mm-hmm. essentially you're kind of that developer that like is building automations and tools for the rest of the backend developers to use to make their lives easier um so if you have that interest then you could lead into backend or into devops position but usually it's it's harder for a company to consider seriously for an applicant to be getting a DevOps when they have no backend professional experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also like uh, software engineer and test. I would say software engineer and test is a f- actually a fairly common stepping stone and mm-hmm. you're going to be pretty strong with testing concepts and um, you're going to be building tons of automated tests as a software engineer and test, and you're going to really take the time out to understand the product and how the user uses the product. So it's, it's going to kind of lean more towards you eventually becoming a user centered developer, which is powerful. Um, I, I like that can be a stepping stone, but you got to really like tests. Um, and then QA, if you get into a QA role, if you are just doing manual testing, Mm-hmm. that's not as much of a stepping stone. Um, I think people, people have been sold on this idea that like manual testing for QA will lead into becoming a software engineer. Not so much. If the company has a transition program where like after a year or so you're considered for other positions on the tech team, maybe, mm-hmm. but that's not always the case. Usually if they hire you for QA, they train you for QA, they want you to stick to QA, right? And so you really have to ask yourself, okay, does manual testing with QA eventually build the skills and the experience that companies other companies are going to care about to hire me as a developer as long as i have the skills it's not that transferable but if you are qa where your team already implements automated testing and you're writing code that's pretty powerful that's transferable if you are a manual tester qa and you say you know what eventually i do want to become a software engineer what i'd like is the a real opportunity if like if they don't have automated testing, I want to implement implement automated testing that I'm going to, you know, make the QA team much, much more efficient. We're going to, you know, reduce regression with software engineers pushing off. Like you can argue for that. Be like this is this is my requirement. This is what I want if I'm going to fill this role. Um, mm-hmm. That's also transferable and also very impressive that you were not only able to articulate how this automation and testing is going to make the team and company more efficient, but you took the lead to implement that. Like that's a powerful thing. Like that's powerful experience that you can talk about in your interview when you do officially apply to a software engineer position. Okay. But there needs to be a route that's going to be available either because they're already doing some automated things and I'm interacting with code type things more directly or there's a specific path i talked to them about where i can automate it and there's a game plan for how i transition that i work out with them in advance ideally um yes and if the game plan doesn't result in you transitioning to becoming a software engineer on their team the Mm -hmm. end game plan is at least like i want to have autonomy over building automation tests or i want it like it you know you don't they don't need to trust you to take the lead on something like that but you need to have the opportunity to prove to them that you can do that and you're going to put that extra work in and that might mean quite frankly you're spending a few extra hours you know outside of work for this like because you know 
you they haven't there's a reason why that automation doesn't exist because leadership doesn't believe it's worth the time of their engineers so mm-hmm. you're probably going to need to be that person spends a few hours each week after work i'm just going to slowly build up automated tests and i'm going to show them i'm going to give that proof of concept so don't expect them to allow you to do that during working hours expect to put in a few extra hours okay fair enough um and i think my last major question is how much do i hold out for a job that i think is an especially good fit versus take the first job that someone offers me that doesn't seem like a scam um what's your timeline like do you want to share your timeline of like i would love a job by this time and i need a job by this time you want to share that um financially i could go the rest of the year without a job if i had to okay earlier is Uh, better (laughs) sure so that's that's something you have to weigh in. I think a lot of us are still trying to figure out what's going to happen with the job market. Is it going to get worse? Is it going to get better? When is it going to get worse? When is it going to get better? Right. Um, it's, it's taking a chance. So if you can kind of verify that it's a legitimate company, the contract the looks legitimate and you can, you know, it has a little bit of a reputation potentially on the internet and employees talking about it. Um, if I like at this point, I think any professional development experience, I think it's, it's probably worth taking and getting a year of experience. Now there are going to be exceptions to this rule, of course. And I'm, I'm trying to think of a couple, like for example, if you get shoved into a software engineer role, so this is what happened at one of my companies. They, they hired developers. They were software engineers, but they weren't really coding. Like they were coding just a tiny bit. But what they were doing is they were building automations, right? And they were building it with like low code solutions. That's not good experience. Now, if you're just doing it for the pay, that's fine, right? You take your job and then you continue coding on the side to build yourself up. That's fine. But I think they were... I know several of them were very disappointed because it wasn't really setting them up to be software engineers. They just graduated coding boot camps, et cetera. Now they're working a full-time job building automations with low code solutions and their coding skills are getting rusty. And that's the problem there. And so they, if I don't know if they did supplement outside, I told them to, I don't know if they did, but um, their coding skills were getting rusty. And so you don't want to end up in a situation like that. So But if you are in a development position, even if you don't get a lot of the feedback that you're hoping for, as long as you have, you know, five hours out of the week to work on a personal project, use the money you're making from your current job to like pay for a professional software engineer to look over your code. Is this good code? Like you can you can outsource that mentorship if you want. Um, So. You can even supplement that mentorship. It doesn't have to be a hard requirement. So if it's, you know, a software engineer title, web development title, like whatever is going to lead you to your next title, that's going to be very similar. I think Mm -hmm. a year of experience can look really good. So like I said, there's, there are going to be exceptions to that where like someone's probably going to bring it up in the comments like this, um, you know, you don't want to take this type of job. What are you talking about this? So I'm sure there are exceptions, but usually I would say you probably do want to take that developer position um, as long as you're coding. Okay. As long as it's not like a no code, low code. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You want to be, you want to be coding. I, I mean, ideally you want to look for a company that's like, at least has some sort of process for pushing the code. They have like source control. 
They use GitHub or something like that. That's a pretty good signal. You might not get a lot of mentorship. It might be a super small team, but if even the experience of pushing to source control and then how do we deploy this, right? And um, like even just if there's a backend engineer that can talk you through it, I think just some some sort of basic setup, even if they have like Heroku, they, you know, a lot of small teams, they'll just build it on a simple solution like Heroku and then they'll have it automatically deploy when it gets merged into a certain branch. And like that kind of setup, You'd be surprised. Sometimes that's even miles ahead of a lot of other companies that are trying to hire you as a developer. Right. So um, it, it's hard to like it's hard to tell you where you should draw that line in the sand. And it's somewhere depending on you and your needs and your goals. But um, I think usually a year of experience with a software engineer title or a web development title where you are continuously coding at, at the very least, like just those stipulations will look very good for you and set you up. Because once you hit that year mark, now things open up for you quite a bit more. Okay. One more question. Um, uh, sure. So I'm really interested in interacting with people and learning and growing. So for that reason, I'm only looking at on-site or hybrid jobs. I think I will learn and grow more interacting with people in person than remote. A, am I totally off base on that? And B, if not, um, for jobs that are advertised as remote, do you think there is a decent chance I could convince them to let me do hybrid or on-site, or should I just continue to focus just on hybrid and on-site positions? Um, no, I, I think that's good that you identify that in yourself. Um, I would argue, like, people want to argue up and down and and just argue, like, everyone should be remote and everything's perfect, yeah, everyone's productive. It's like, I'm sure, but it's complete bullshit. And so what really happens is companies struggle with two things. One with productivity at home and mm -hmm. we can get into habits, et cetera. But like, that's a whole other, other conversation. Um, but a lot of people are not productive at home initially. They need that support. They need that retraining of their habits. Um, number two, <clears throat> the communications, not nearly as good. It's almost never is as good. Um, and so the communications off, and that's another skill you need to build up to be able to at least produce some sort of good communication, decent communication when like, it's just different when you're interacting with people um, face to face, it's an extremely different experience. And even the relationships you build, the trust that you build, it's all different. We're not meant to be doing this through computer screens, but like if you want that in person, to, like I think companies can value that. I think a lot of employees, some employees are pushing back on that. Some employees do want that. So a lot of companies are kind of being torn back and forth, depending on like just the trends in the industry. But um, if it says remote, that does not mean it won't have a local office. So you can still apply and say, actually, do you have any sort of hybrid system where I can come into the office one or two days a week? And that might just be your initial conversation with HR and just ask them. That's what I would do. So just because it says remote, Usually it's because they're trying to attract candidates that will yeah. accept that remote. You think most co remote companies or many remote companies would be potentially amenable to me coming in more? Maybe. Maybe. It, it's hard to know. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. it's really hard to know, but I think it's worth asking. I, you can still apply there. Um, and I think it might be worth asking. You could even just like reach out directly on LinkedIn. And just say, reach out to the HR person on LinkedIn. Hey, I was considering applying for this position. Um, I really benefit or I would really love or grow from, you know, some sort of hybrid solution where I can come into the office. Is that an option? And I just ask them. Okay. 
I think those are all my questions. Thank you. Cool. Yeah. Glad I could help. Um, but yeah, anyone else in the comments, um, you know, if you have any answers or responses to this, uh, feel free to help out. I think, I think these are really good questions and I would argue these are really great questions. I think a lot of people get so desperate for a job that they don't really ask these types of questions. And I think even like the initial thing that you brought up, um, it's probably going to drive you throughout your career, but you want to, you essentially want to join a company that's a little bit more mission driven and doing development work and using your skills to be able to contribute or help further them in their mission. Um, it's, it's probably something you don't want to, I think that's your North star. Just don't lose sight of it. It's essentially what I'm saying. Um, okay, that's pretty much it. Daniel, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you.